Welcome to the EuroCleo podcast, pastime, talking and teaching history. This episode will be about commemorating contested history, and we focus on the Mayflower 400 commemorations. So, Mike, what, what was the Mayflower? So the Mayflower is the name of the ship that the English colonists used to sail to the New World, which we now know as the Americas or the United States. Uh, and this, of course, was at the expense of the indigenous people. And eventually, only uh, like 90% of the people living there, they didn't survive the European uh, invasion due to wars and diseases. So actually, in this episode, what we want to tackle is um, how controversial commemorations can be done in the classroom. Exactly, by giving some suggestions, maybe strategies and how history educators can go about dealing with such a topic. And I think it's actually like you, every country has an event or a day that maybe is celebrating a certain event, but can actually be very hurtful uh, for other groups in society. I know for the Netherlands some examples, but I was actually curious, uh, Andreas, in Norway, do you have, do you guys even have something like this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think even in Norway, I can think of many, um, but I think one of the most controversial topics in Norwegian history uh, has been our treatment of our own indigenous people, actually. So that plugs in nicely with the topic of today's podcast. It comes out particularly on our national day sometimes when they like to, to bring their own flag to the commemorations or to the celebrations. And, and some people don't like that. So, yeah, it ties in very nicely with our with our topic today. Oh, that's that's very interesting, uh, Andreas. Thanks for enlightening us. In that regard. Um, so in order to discuss this topic, besides Andreas, we also have uh, three other experts on uh, dealing with <laughs> controversial history, um, of which the first one is Dr. Brunda from uh, Sacramento State University. She actually identifies herself as an indigenous woman and she will explain something to us about counter-narratives and how often, you know, uh, certain events or people are actually ignored in the standard curriculum. Yeah, and uh, our second guest is uh, Jonathan Evan Sohar, which is very known to the EuroCleo community, I believe. He used to be a uh, director of EuroCleo for a good while. Now he runs his own uh, consultancy business. Uh, he's based in Leiden and he's actually involved in a project that uh, surrounds this commemoration of the Mayflower. Great. And our third guest also comes from Leiden, where he is actually a professor at Leiden University and he's teaching American history and he will tell something about the perspective of an historian when it comes to these commemorations. extremely honored to have you here with us on the show. Dr. Brunda is from Sacramento State University, which is located in California, the United States of America. Um, you focus on international and multicultural education with a very specific focus on social justice. You also work very hard to include the perspective of Native Americans in the curriculum uh, at secondary and primary education. The fourth edition of your book, uh, what is the color of your heart? A humanist approach to diversity just came out and we will make sure to put a link to the book also uh, as a description to this podcast. Um, so we're very excited to have Dr. Burunda here with us today and to um, discuss how the Mayflower 400 can be perceived as a contested history and how should we commemorate and should we commemorate maybe as well. Um, Dr. Uh, Burunda, thank you so much for joining us. 
did I miss anything or would you like to add something in order to make the introduction complete? Uh, yes, I thought it would be good to add some context for the viewers to um, understand that as a professor uh, who's worked with tribal communities, um, as well as working at, at Sac State uh, with counselor education students who are uh, going out to be school counselors, career counselors at university settings, uh, marriage and family counselors, that in, in looking at our implicit biases that manifest themselves in our relationships um, and how we perceive the other, uh, that, that I was having to, as a professor in the classroom setting, look at the division between my white students and my students of color. And it would come out in, in ways that, um, that I knew I had to take a different approach to teaching about diversity. Uh, so when you offered you know, this opportunity to speak to people on your side of the pond, that I understood that, oh, it seems like, like perhaps you're looking at what we're dealing with here, um, in a very different way. And I knew that for myself that there was a, a hidden part of our story that needed to be put out there. Um, and so when I looked at, for example, the Mayflower and I looked at Euro-Americans, the European diaspora, uh, what impact it's had on our relationships here. Uh, when you have an uninvited guest come to your home um, and how people behave, uh, those who behave well, you want to have them back again. When people don't behave so well, you don't want to have them around, right? We're still dealing with that even today. Uh, so, <laughs> so I'm not going to put everybody in, in the same category. Um, myself having visited uh, the European nations a number of times now, uh, you know, I recognize uh, the different cultures and understanding, yet there's little understanding in this direction even of the European diaspora. So, so with that, in terms of understanding um, the full picture, what you'll get from me is, is much more of a counter narrative uh, to the 400 year commemoration. In the first uh, chapter of your book, um, of which the fourth edition just came out, What is the Color of Your Heart, a Humanist Approach to Diversity, you actually described the migration of the Europeans on the Mayflower, and you, you described this process uh, rather differently than maybe the traditional narrative that we also often hear in, here in Europe, as you emphasize very much the desperation of the Europeans and also the hardship in the colonies itself. So mm -hmm. could you maybe, uh, would you be able uh, to explain the difference between how these accounts come about based on the same historical events? Well, um, for us here, we have to examine um, the relationships between people who've come to this continent. Um, you know, we have, we call it Turtle Island, we call it Aslanahuac. Um, those are the names of, of um, this part of the world that we call it. And when you examine the orientations of people who came here voluntarily versus those who are here involuntarily, um, that there's gonna be a different way of looking um, at, at our history. So what I, what I've understood from many of our Euro-American um, students here is that they haven't been handed down even their own history um, upon arrival. Of, you know, even getting to Ellis Island, many of them were stripped of their, their, their names, uh, their names were shortened and so forth. And then the struggles that people had here and the reasons by which people came 
that there's been an exploitive capitalistic orientation and many of the Europeans uh, who were first brought over here were brought as indentured servants. And so when, when my students of color come to examine um, the conditions and even my Euro-Americans come to see, wow, um, you know, it, it, there weren't um, embassy suites waiting for us here. You know, there was a lot of struggle. Um, and that, that the mistreatment of some Europeans on their own people as they came under very, um, very difficult, challenging circumstances, um, that many of them decided, you know, to run away and join the tribes. Uh, and, and we always hear about that great, great, great grandmother who was from a particular tribe or, or so forth, um, that, that then those people were punished to try to run away. Um, so those are stories that maybe don't resonate well um, for, for your Americans in terms of, wow, we didn't understand that, and, but then we don't share that information. Um, and then what happens with people who are here involuntarily who don't understand that history as well? So, so with that, how we come to a way to um, converge our, our stories, um, to understand the hardships of all people, uh, and what are the conditions that created the divide and rule? Um, those sort of divisions where you now tell one person um, that you're better, you're more superior because your skin color is different. Uh, and now we're going to give you a gun, you're going to rule over those people over there. And we don't talk about that, that you had indentured servants working side by side with other enslaved people in, in the origins of this nation. That's not often shared. Thank you very much. Um, when, you, when you encounter uh, commemoration related to colonization, um, whether it's the Mayflower 400 or Columbus Day, which I understand is already a term that, that has some contestation to it, um, what, what's, what's your first feeling about that? And, and, or rather, as an educator, how would you like teachers to think about it? Mm -hmm. uh, again, I, I would say forgive, but don't forget. Um, it, so in the sense that uh, Columbus Day, that we call it Indigenous Peoples Day, um, recognizing that, that once, once Columbus got here, um, he didn't come, it wasn't a goodwill mission. Um, he came looking for gold. Um, he, he owed money back to Queen Isabella from España. Um, and so with that, when he couldn't find the gold, he took people from here and sold them over there in Europe. Uh, many people were, were brutalized. Um, there was genocide that started out uh, upon Columbus's arrival, uh, followed by Cortez um, in Mesoamerica. So, so those are not days that are celebrated with indigenous people. And as we come to recognize what transpired, um, what were the intentions of people as they came? Uh, did they come with good heart or did they come with sword? Did they come to, to synergistically join our cultures and, and, and appreciate what was here? Um, or did they come to spread smallpox and diseases? Uh, so, so when you look at the aftermath of where we are now, um, we have had efforts, for example, our own Governor Newsom here in California. Uh, it was just about a year ago, um, maybe even less, in which he, he did a formal apology of the genocide that was enacted upon the people, the California Indian people. Now recognizing it, my friend, the Purepecha, Purepecha tribe, 
uh, which were originally from the Four Corners region. And then um, a mere couple thousand years ago, we migrated down south after the waters receded in this part of the world. Um, and so um, the large part of the tribe is in an area now called Guanajuato, Mexico. Uh, but yet as people came through that part of the world uh, from Spain, you know, there was again the efforts to dominate. So when we hear terms like, like Columbus Day, uh, for those of us here who experienced the, the genocide and the exploitation and slavery and rape and so forth, um, those, those are terms that for us, it's not a celebration, um, but it's to remember what transpired. Thank you. So I guess this question relates to that, um, to what you just said, because we're using the Mayflower 400th anniversary as, as an event of such and to, to look at it, how can we do better, perhaps? Um, your book is titled The Humanist Approach to Diversity. So how, what would be a humanist approach to an event as the Mayflower 400? Well, I think the, the, um, the question that, that indigenous people that, that we ask ourselves is, what was going on in Europe? The people were, were so intent on, on taking that trip, 3,000 miles across the water. Um, the Mayflower itself, what was it? It's something like five voyages at least. Um, half the people on the first voyage died when they arrived here, and yet people kept coming. Um, I can tell you right now, if, if you know, I were to jump on Southwest Airlines right now and I had a 50-50 chance of, of getting to my destination, I don't know that I would go um, unless the circumstances were so bad right here that I said, okay, I'm going to hedge my bet and I'm going to go. So. I would say from a humanistic perspective that for Europe to, to ask itself, uh, the European nations, what was happening there? Um, how were, you know, I understand there were many plagues, there were many wars going on. Um, and then that desperation by which people felt that this was their best option uh, and or were many of these people forced to come um, to this part of the world where um, there was there was no welcoming reception initially, though there eventually we did have um, tribes who um, had to teach people how to plant and how to eat and how to survive. Um, there's a different taking of that day that's celebrated called, called Thanksgiving, of course, which has been appropriated as well. Um, but but with that is is I would say an understanding a, a compassionate understanding of what forced people to take that a perilous journey across the water. And once they got here, what really transpired? Um, you saw the books that I cited um, on my end here to try to educate our students of what it was like uh, to understand what, what people do when they're very desperate. Uh, and, and yet, what can we learn from this in terms of how we continue to behave with one another even today, um, whether it be within our own country or from nation to nation. When you talk about the commemoration of the Mayflower, the complexities need to be shared and the impact. We forgive, but we don't forget. And, and we will hopefully learn from these stories so we don't repeat the same thing over in our lifetime. 
and that's why it's important to, to know even those family stories. Thank you so much for uh, um, for your time. Um, I don't know if Andreas uh, has another question or. No, I think it's time <laughs> that we actually wrap it up. We we have talked for quite a bit, so thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. Our second guest is Dr. Eduard van der Beeld from Leiden University. With him, we talked about how remembrances are often connected to politics and how events that are commemorate, commemorated can still lead to a celebration. And often these are done for other reasons than purely learning from the past. Dr. van der Beeld also gave some tips to how teachers can actually challenge the status quo regarding these commemorations and celebrations. Dr. Edward van der Bilt. A warm welcome to you. Uh, you lecture on American history at Leiden University and you also co-organize the Mayflower commemorations at the university. You have uh, authored, co-authored a book titled Newcomers in an Old City, the American Pilgrims in Leiden 1609-1620. Please let me know if I missed anything in your, in your brief introduction. No, that's fine. It's a pleasure to be here with you. Thank you very much. So um, my first question is, why would we now perceive the 400 year anniversary as a commemoration rather than a celebration? Right. Yeah, no, the, the, the commemoration theme or concept um, um, has slightly less nationalistic or national chauvinistic connotations or even local chauvinistic connotations, I, I will have to add because we have to deal with all kinds of um, chauvinisms or traditions of exceptionalism here in this discussion. Um, when when uh, Joanna Cardux and I started writing about um, these pilgrim years in Leiden, we quickly discovered, of course, uh, you know, the celebratory tradition in the US about these people, surrounding these people and the Mayflower event. Um, but we also quickly discovered that here on the local level, um, the city has a similar tradition that um, really celebrates the presence, um, commemorates the presence of these pilgrims in Leiden to celebrate the city itself and the Dutch tradition of tolerance. <laughs> so it was really funny to discover two types of, um, you know, traditions that really turned these people and this Mayflower event into rather chauvinistic celebrations. And, and, and that's what triggered our interest. Um, and that is what made us, you know, start looking into this history, start questioning it and, and trying to change it a bit. And of course, the, the other part of the story has to do with developments in American historiography. Um, my colleague is from American Lit, I'm from American history. Um, we, you know, we know our American colleagues' work and, and developments in American history and literary scholarship, um, particularly, of course, the multicultural turn, interest in, in, in minorities, women's history, African-American history, civil rights movement, dramatically changed the way we do history. We tried to go along with recent trends in historiography, aiming to focus at people who were left out of the earlier celebrations. Thank you. Yeah, that's very clear um, how you uh, mentioned that you're focusing on historiography and then focusing on people who were earlier left out. Um, trying yeah. to 
I mean, the, the old saying is uh, history is written by the victors, right? I mean, there's a debate going on. Was it Churchill or not? Someone else, probably someone else who came up with the statement. But yeah, that that is that is a phrase you will encounter quite a bit these days. And that is what changed the historical interest in a way. Thank you very much. Um, I have a question that that follows up a bit on the inclusion of of the more the indigenous story of in, in the US here. Um, and the commemoration of Mayflower 400 in Leiden clearly intends to, to include the perspectives of, of indigenous peoples and also touches on the more the brutal sides of, of colonialism, even if, as we know, the narrative of pilgrims is very comfortable for white Anglo-Saxon Americans in the US. Um, and I'm just wondering, how did you how did you come to the, to the decision to clear, so clearly focus on, on that element of the story? Um, perhaps, I mean, was there a push or pull factor who was who was kind of pulling you in that direction or is that something that academics are, are doing themselves? Yeah, it's 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 it is to a certain extent academics who are doing that. I mean, you know, what I refer to as multicultural history, the rise of that, say, in U.S. Uh, society in the 1970s and 80s civil rights movement, um, women's rights movement, uh, movements for civil rights of other minorities. That is really what changed our way of dealing with history. And, and you know, um, the conference organizers and people in charge of exhibits at the local city museum um, are really influenced by that. And in this case, um, it, of course, makes sense to focus not so much on the slavery discussion, although that can be part of the deal, too, but particularly on the Native American part, because the question how, um, you know, the indigenous people living in North America were impacted, were, um, you know, experienced the consequences of this uh, white colonialist tradition uh, had not been part of the um, celebrations and commemorations before. So um, that is really what um, helped us focus on that aspect of the story. It makes sense. It, it's logical. It's almost nowadays in academic, academic circles conventional to do that. Um, the funny thing adding to the whole debate is, of course, that we knew about the American celebration of the Mayflower and the pilgrims. Uh, many Americans don't even realize that they spent 11, 12 years in Leiden before their um, you know, arrival in North America. The funny thing is that in the local Leiden or Dutch situation, you have a similar kind of chauvinistic celebration of the impact that the city of Leiden or the Dutch Republic uh, that the city was part of at the time had on these pilgrims. The Dutch will claim and Leiden people will claim that, um, you know, democracy, uh, freedom of religion, a tradition of tolerance in the U.S. was not created at the, the American frontier, not in what England and then transmitted to the U.S. The Americans got it from Leiden or the Dutch Republic, as, as, as the Dutch will say. And so, I mean, that that is, of course, what also triggered us into trying to change the narrative and focus on on not just the positive side, but the nasty negative aspects of the story. Yeah, thank, thank you. I think it's very interesting what you say that kind of the multicultural approach to history is, is almost conventional right now in the yeah. academic world. And maybe also to uh, look into what you say, the nasty side of the story. 
Yeah, a Native American history and Native American history is is one of the more recent additions to that multicultural history. You know, it's women's history, African American history got quite a bit of attention decades ago and are still going very strong. Native American history was, um, you know, gay history came a bit later, and then Native American history is the most recent addition, I guess, to this type of scholarship. Because our association is really intended for history educators. Mm -hmm. um, so this question is more about um, what is already uh, a general practice in the academic world by also focusing on the on the more problematic or controversial sides of history. Would you have any tips for history educators in how to do that, how to translate that into the history classroom, maybe with regard to the syllabus or maybe with regard to certain topics? I mean, in terms of syllabi uh, or other issues, I mean, it makes sense to, to look into these celebrations commemorations of uh, important events in, in local or national history. And then, for instance, begin to look um, into the history of these celebrations. That would be one thing I would would be interested in uh, as, as someone, say, looking into commemorations of European events. Um, what I find interesting, and that's exactly what we're doing here too, is, is immediately create, establish contacts with local museums or bring in the local museums or the national museums to see what they're doing to explore um, the topic that is being celebrated or commemorated. And then bring in, I mean, and that 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 is part of what is going on here too, bring in local groups, community groups, um, who are participants in these celebrations. Go and talk to them. Uh, here in Leiden, there were um, theater groups that were going to stage performances for high school kids um, about the Mayflower commemoration. So we, we, you know, Leiden, the city of Leiden, um, of course, the coronavirus uh, problems undermined the whole campaign, but they had all kinds of projects. So they established a committee and organization to, to deal with all of the events. And the organizers or the people in charge of that committee immediately brought us into contact with local theater groups um, who are, you know, wanted to hear from us about the history and about the kinds of ways they could commemorate the event. So, I mean, there, there are all kinds of very, call them pragmatic, almost also non-academic elements that you can add to, say, a, a course or a series of sessions that you talk about these commemorations. Um, but bring in the local, uh, bring in local people, uh, bring in um, the way these events were celebrated, commemorated before, talk about that. Um, that's what I would advise people to do. Thank you so much. Yeah, um, uh, I really uh, love what you're saying about adds also the non-academic uh, part of commemorating to it by indeed looking into maybe theater groups or other people in the communities, not necessarily academics or maybe right. for formal education. You know, it's 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 you're going to talk about um, the way school children should commemorate these events. I mean, that that was part of the project here as well. And, and that is what makes it, you know, much more interesting than just as an academic event that will, in a sense, 
be not that interesting. You know, the moment we organize a conference and the result is, hey, it's all part of an imperialist, Western colonialist endeavor, I'm saying, well, thank you. I knew that. Um, nothing new in that respect. So in that respect, you don't create anything new or interesting. And the more interesting events are probably taking place um, on different levels and in different domains and sites of the more local communities. Maybe in order to create something new, it's not necessarily an academic conference. But don't you think that you need an academic conference as the one that you're organizing to give that push, to also give it that academic kind of grounding that often these perspectives do need in order to take seriously? Right, right, right. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, don't get me wrong. I, I wish to emphasize my my own relevance. <laughs> I'm extremely, I'm extremely relevant in these commemorations. So, no, but I mean, on the other hand, we shouldn't exaggerate our own role and take into account, um, you know, the feelings that are living here among quite a few people um, in, the, in, the, in the local community. Um, it'll be interesting. I mean, we shouldn't exaggerate the impact that we have. I mean, will we change public opinion about the pilgrims in Leiden uh, after our conference? I have my doubts. <laughs> you know, it's the same debate that that in the Netherlands is ongoing about Black Peter. You know, academics were saying, 20 years ago here in this country, we had, you know, American Fulbright professors, African-American ones, walking around Leiden, coming across these Black Peters and, you know, asking us, asking themselves, what the heck is going on here? We're still talking about that issue. And what situation is changing slowly. Okay, so maybe we had some impact. I'm, I'm not sure. Um, was not so much the academics um, raising their voices. We're talking certain groups organized in the Surinamese, Dutch Antillian uh, community that were much more influential, I think, than academics. We also had Dr. Rose Burunda on this podcast, and she's an historian in California. When we asked her about this commemoration, her sort of question was more how... It, for her, it was not so interesting why people were coming to the U.S. or to America, but why were they leaving in the first place? <laughs> yeah. Right, 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 yeah. And, yeah. and this is something that I, I, I imagine that perhaps that's discussed to some extent in Leiden because of the, the whole mythology of, of right. freedom of religion and so forth. But do you know anything about how that is seen in the, in the U.K., where they actually, well, originally left from? Yeah, no, I mean, the, the argument there is, of course, I mean, about the reasons why they left... Um, there is a relative consensus in terms of, okay, they, the, these were groups that were persecuted in the religious domain. Um, their easy way out was to go to the Dutch Republic. It was nearby. The Dutch and the English were allies in a war against Spain. Um, they were Protestant nations. So in that sense, it, it made sense. There, were, there was a very strong English presence here in terms of merchants, soldiers, um, you know, trade was extensive so it made sense for them to move to um to the dutch republic and to amsterdam at first and then leiden here of course um to explain why they left leiden is is it a painful issue no it's not that painful because we come up with nice positive arguments they came to leiden when there was a truce in the 80-year dutch war of independence that truce was about to end okay so you can explain in very positive terms, they didn't want to become part of a war environment again. Um, what 
Bradford, who's the one of the participants, of course, one of the leaders of the the, the voyage to uh, North America, is also saying, and this is the more funny argument. Um, the pilgrims feared that their community was falling apart, particularly their children were in danger of becoming more secular, impacted as they were by their, by their Dutch peers. So the argument is the more open, loud and tolerant environment had a negative impact. It's the same environment that drew these pilgrims, these Puritans to Leiden, that also caused them to leave. And that maintains, you know, the, the tradition of tolerance that the Dutch are so proud of. <laughs> Thank you so much for your for your contributions and for talking with us. We also talked with Jonathan Evansoar, who worked for more than 13 years at Euroclio, of which the last five as executive director. Now he has his own educational consultancy bureau that focuses on project development. Jonathan developed an educational project for the Mayflower 400 anniversary. We asked him some questions about his project and he gave us some tips on how educators can deal with contested commemoration in their classrooms. For example, thinking in big themes and looking into the history of such commemorations. Hi Jonathan, uh, thanks for joining our podcast. Uh, hi. Um, the Mayflower 400 project, um, when you got that, that assignment, uh, did you perceive this as an assignment to celebrate or to commemorate? And could you elaborate a bit on the on the, how you perceive the difference between the two. Okay, so basically, uh, uh, just a short prehistory. Um, I kind of grew into this assignment because I presented myself as available and capable at the Leiden municipality people. Um, and then I found out that basically this project in Leiden, a city in the Netherlands, is invested with the Leiden Marketing Agency. So it's a tourist board um, they wanted uh, uh, to conduct some sort of educational international project and they had no specific outline on what that would be the outline that they have for the entire um, uh, uh, anniversary was far more on the side of commemorative uh, sorry uh, celebratory so it was aimed at looking at this history, what did it leave, what legacies exist in Leiden, and how to basically uh, celebrate those and, 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 and make sure that American tourists visiting Leiden would uh, found what they are looking for. But while I was in, um, in those conversations with Leiden Marketing Agency, there was also some criticism in the city that the city had joined this uh, international project uh, without too much um, critical voice. And this was also championed by some of the uh, museums in the city, Lackenhall, so the City Museum and the uh, and, uh, uh, World Museum. Uh, and so actually the program itself changed right at the moment that I got my assignment to create an international education project around it. It actually transitioned from a celebration into something more of a commemoration. And at the end, it resulted in a whole new framework uh, being uh, designed by the city. So instead of calling it Mayflower 400, it became known as Leiden 400. And instead of it being about the journey of the pilgrims as uh, on the Mayflower, it became something that they uh, called uh, a four-nation commemoration. And the nations being Dutch, 
British uh, American and Wampanoag uh, First Nation uh, Americans. So that actually transitioned, and I myself, of course, uh, am very happy with that transition. I think whether you celebrate something in the past or commemorate it, that's not really, that, that's not for me the most important uh, issue here. It's more that you actually open the doors for something to be interpreted in many different ways. And I'm happy that that uh, sort, of, sort of shifted because for me, that's an opportunity for education. I hope that answers your question. Yeah, very clear. Thanks, uh, Jonathan, for that. Um, so as you said uh, yourself, so whether you call it a commemoration or a celebration, you don't really mind that so much as long as there is room for multiple perspectives to be acknowledged and explored. Do I phrase that correct? Yes. Uh, yeah, very much so. Okay. Uh, yeah. Yes. All right. No, then that's a great uh, bridge to my next question, <laughs> because, you know, uh, oftentimes important dates or events are often uh, occasions that are indeed used for celebrations, but that can actually be seen by others uh, as, as much more hurtful events or actually something that is more negative. Um, and, and that is also the case, of course, with the Mayflower 400 or Leiden 400, as you call it. So could you maybe elaborate a bit on how did you address that tension between the people who actually want to celebrate and the people who actually more want to commemorate? Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that's very interesting to, to look at how the project uh, kind of matured. So, um, and with project, I mean, my specific assignment to make some sort of international uh, education exchange project. First way in which we tackled it was to look at migration history as the lens through which you can look at different perspectives, of course, the perspective of uh, the, the, the receiving population, the perspective of the pilgrims themselves who arrived in Leiden as um, refugees and left and became colonizers. So there's a lot of different perspectives. They also came with agricultural uh, competence or work experience and in Leiden became uh, working in the, in the textile industry and then uh, in, in America returned, let's say, to the agricultural work. So migration was the first theme we took to work on the different perspectives. But to answer your question, what actually happened was the, um, that our counterparts from the United States, from Plymouth, came to Leiden uh, last September and we, we were going to discuss this uh, project uh, that we have, which is basically to challenge students to make uh, something around this history. And first we just thought like, okay, the students need to explore different perspectives and look at this migration from the different points of view and then they will write some kind of paper or make some kind of product around migration. Uh, but what we realized is that if, and oh, and, and the methodology we were going for is this design thinking methodology. So. Uh, we want to challenge students to handle real-life problems and give them the sort of design thinking methodology to first identify with the uh, users or you know, the, those who, for whom it is a problem. And then you know, ideate and create solutions and, 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 and think about prototypes and test them and so on. What were the controversies that you, you found? Well, they're, they're kind of different. So 
in Leiden, on the Dutch side, there isn't that much controversial because this specific history of the Mayflower is relatively short. It's a small group of people that resided uh, in a small place for a small period of time and then left. So you could say, obviously, there is a proximate relation to other controversies related to the 17th century, for example, how to deal with the legacy of uh, slavery and slave trade. But this history as such doesn't actually, was not that controversial on the Dutch side. On the American side, the controversy is, of course, much, much bigger because it is um, um, a history that became mythology around the birth of a nation in which uh, white Anglo-Saxon uh, uh, Protestant settler in New England became the story of the birth of the United States of America and challenging that through whatever historical revisionist as has been done over the last century is still very controversial because this myth took and still takes center stage in an annual uh, ritual which is Thanksgiving and it, it and especially for Plymouth itself the place with which this international exchange project is conducted this is also a place which is um, like it's controversial to have a challenge because a lot of heritage in that place is celebrated because it has that important position in the mythological story of the birth of a nation. Um, I, I didn't become an expert in all of that, but this was just some of the conversation that we had with our American counterparts. And so the controversy around these organizational boards that were going to celebrate this once in a lifetime 400th anniversary was uh, on the United States side much bigger in terms of whether or not this should be about the inclusion of Wampanoag perspectives, whether this should be celebrated at all, whether this should, you know, uh, uh, be done in such a way that it will attract more uh, non-critical visitors. Uh, and on the Dutch side, it's far more the meaning of, of that period of the 17th century, or maybe even further, uh, other issues around integration uh, in society today. Okay, thank you so much for that, uh, Jonathan. So if I kind of summarize what you're saying is that in a way to deal with such a controversial topic, maybe not necessarily in, in the Netherlands, but definitely with some of your partners, is to look at a concept, at a big theme, and uh, approach uh, a topic within that big theme. That, that's one of the strategies that you used when you were uh, dealing with this particular topic. And then also by implementing some kind of skills. And in this case, you were using design thinking methodology in order to kind of construct the idea of a challenge uh, for students as well. So I think that's two of some of the ways uh, in which you are dealing with contested history. And then you think of a, a beautiful project around it. Do you maybe have some more explicit tips for educators uh, who are maybe not dealing with the Mayflower 400, but some other controversies in their own country um, that you could share with us? Um, uh, yeah, I, I, I think I have a couple of, uh, let's say, nice strategies but i would immediately be critical on myself because i haven't taught actually and so i know the pressure is on teachers to you know be creative and innovative uh, 24 7 while also being uh, productive and efficient 24 7 and those things are kind of difficult to merge but i think uh, there are uh, i've seen some interesting ways in which remembrance 
whether it is remembers related to World War II or something that happened in the city uh, where the students live or uh, National Days, Independence Days, you know, this whole ritualized form in which our society uh, publicly um, uses the past. I think there's a lot of value uh, for students and for teachers who are able to do that to help their students um, see what's behind that, basically. So it, it, I, don't, I think the first thing would be to, be to just have that question on the table. Not only, you know, let's say uh, there is an Independence Day coming up. Why are we celebrating? Oh, because 200 years ago, that person wrote whatever constitution or whatever war was won. That's all fine. But it was never something that was celebrated immediately. So who are the agents of remembrance? When did they arise? What forms have they used to remember? How have those forms themselves changed over time? Um, and why? Uh, what is possible to even see in the, over the lifespan of, of a student's uh, own life? Uh, you know, maybe the student will him or herself see change in forms of remembrance in which they have participated. Um, so kind of like, I think it's interesting for history educators to look at, uh, I don't want to sound too negative, but to look at this thing called remembrance. It, you, sometimes you could even say about the remembrance industry to see how does it function. Um, I, maybe that's not extremely concrete for teachers, but I think that is a very important question to ask. And then on the other side of it, of what students could actually do and I think that's very important from a democratic citizenship point of view is to understand that commemoration is part of your citizenship and it's part of your freedom. So even though agencies and governments might have formalized rituals in which we should all participate because lest we forget or we should remember the fallen, et cetera, et cetera, it is up to all of us ourselves to actually give shape to that. So, um, try to bridge between what is the history of the fact or whatever it is in the past that is being commemorated and try to also uh, provoke students a little to actually be creative and express themselves around that. Uh, and I think that's where, you know, this is a task that is not only for history, that's also for arts and crafts and maybe for language and maybe for citizenship and other types of projects to, uh, to look more about the form and the method. And the final thing I want to say about that, because this, these, so let's say there's an analytical aspect, there's a creative aspect, but I think the thing that interests you also mainly is this emotive aspect. Um, why do people have feelings basically when they commemorate? And what do they feel? And who feels what? And who doesn't feel anything? <laughs> and these are of course social conversations. Uh, this is something that may, may very well may live in class with a, with a mixed composition with different, you know, ethnic, cultural, political, religious backgrounds. Um, and it's something to explore in, 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 in conversations as well. What does a flag make you feel and why? And these are all sort of forms in which I think uh, history and not only history can, can, can do something. Um, yeah, and there are many different interesting concrete examples of uh you know classes going to a central square and looking at 
what kind of monuments are there, where, when were the monuments put there, what are the street names, when do, did those become the street names, those sort of activities, I think, bridge between remembrance, public history, and, and the actual history that, you, that, you know, that is in the curriculum. So there's, yeah, I, still rather broad, but those are the things that come to mind. Great. Th thank you for that, Jonathan. I just quickly summarize it, the three things that you mentioned. So the first one is why. Now think about the question, why is this commemorated? Maybe there are also alternative motives for it. Think about the historical context in which this came up. Uh, and the second one, you say, think about the form and method of commemorating. And then the third one is, has more to do with empathy, uh, the emotions that come along with commemorating something, or maybe that actually uh, someone uh, does not have, that's also possible, and have a discussion about that. Is that uh, correctly summarized, Jonathan? Yeah, it just makes <laughs> me realize I use way too many words. <laughs> <laughs> I, so what I what I took out of all of this, and that's a message to all of us, not just the history educators, is you know it's a task for all of us when we face these kind of commemorations. It's it's to both celebrate and to provoke. I like wow. that. Wow, perfect. Thank you so much for for joining the podcast, Jonathan, and uh, have and a really nice day. And good luck with your project. Yeah, I'm very excited to see what the students come up with. To wrap up our second episode, which was about the Mayflower 400 commemoration as an example of how we as educators can deal with contested history in the classroom. We discussed the creation of counter narratives with Dr. Baronda in order to make sure that we forgive but not forget. Besides, we also talked with Dr. van der Bilt about myth-making that's often attached to these celebrations for chauvinistic reasons. And we had Jonathan Evensohar, who shared with us some ways in which we as history educators can encourage a reflection on commemoration. So with three great guests, we had to make some tough editing choices. And I had to stop an overly excited Micah to prevent her from making this a two-hour podcast. Yeah, very much appreciated, Andreas. Thank you. <laughs> this does mean, Andrea Hadran, that we have some extra bonus material for you. Uh, so please check that out. Yes. Thank you so much. See you on the next episode. Thanks for listening. Bye.